Hello and welcome to Superposition, the show where we share 100% organic, free-range, and FDA-approved opinions on topics concerning China and the U.S. I'm your host, Seed, and I'm Hanson. In this episode, we sit down with our friend Paul, who's from the U.S. but lived in China for a year. Together, we react to trending posts on Chinese social media about the U.S. Enjoy the show. Yeah, I'm Paul.、Uh, I I worked with Seed at Clavio, both of our previous employers as software engineers.、Uh, I'm meeting Hanson for the first time, but we're getting along famously. Maybe the reason that Seed was interested in me appearing on this episode is because I、um, had a stint living in China for a year.、Um, I <clears throat> I studied Mandarin in college,、uh, and I got really into it and decided to pick it up as a minor. Um, which which also encompassed some like Chinese culture and history classes. My film major was kind of I was like pretty early on like well I'm certainly not going to do this. I like to watch movies, but I don't like to make them.、Uh, but I do like learning Mandarin, so I think I will try to go to China. So I lived there for a year, and、um, Seed took great delight in taking me to all of his favorite Chinese food places for for a long time, chewing the fat about all things China and the U.S. <laughs> Very excited to have you here, Paul. So today is all about we read random news and comments about U.S. on Chinese internet and see how you guys react. So it's a reverse of the previous episode we did.、Um, let's jump right into it. So the first headline read as "Su Yuan, 美国携病毒祸害全球 which roughly translates to "U.S. is the origin of COVID and eventually infected the whole world." Subtitle: How U.S. military spread COVID-19 via 2019 military games in Wuhan. Yeah, I think the reason why this、uh, became suddenly popular on Chinese internet is because it's a counterpunch to the theory that was、uh, mainstreamed by the U.S. government that、um, there is a leak from the Wuhan virus lab. And that's actually the origin of COVID. My hot take on this is: What does it matter? Why do we care where it started? <laughs> If it's a natural occurrence of things, we should just focus on how to deal with the virus. It's well, so it's 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 like yeah, there's there's a lot of focus on where it started,、um, which could take away from you know instead focusing on. Uh, went went what went wrong with the response, and how many times did it go wrong with the response? You could talk about how the response was sabotaged from before the virus even began to spread, when uh, uh, Donald Trump decided to like disband, uh, like th- there was a task force or something. I I don't remember the exact name, but there was a task force dedicated to pandemic responses, and he's like, yeah, we don't need that, but、um, oh, okay. it would have been nice、but、to have them around.、Planned. Uh, <laughs> right.、Yeah. Maybe the casualty was the goal. I'm just joking. Yeah. No. Sounds like forty chest to me. Well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs>、um, but see, you know, when it comes to this、uh, news headline and why it's so popular, I think、uh, one potential angle to look at it is that it's kind of just hitting back against all the rhetoric to the contrary, right?、Mm. Uh, going back to the previous presidency,、um, there's so much rhetoric. Officially and unofficial, unofficially in the U.S.、Uh, of saying, you know, really stressing that China was at fault for、right. causing this issue, right? Whether you call it the Wuhan virus or Kung flu, I mean, That, that's are, funny, by the way. Those are <laughs> right. Those are hilarious.、Um, but you know, they did come from the president of the U.S., and there's a lot of,、uh, you know, political、uh, stuff, motivation behind it, and.、Right. Uh, Whether you know whatever the source was for this headline, I think、uh, part of that is basically countering the narrative and saying like maybe maybe we're not to blame, right? Maybe someone else is to blame. Now, I think the rational attitude I agree with Seed is who cares who's to blame? It probably isn't really any particular person's fault or intention,、uh, but. Yeah, that's my guess, right? Like why this is popular? Maybe people are just so sick of hearing things blaming. China, so it's an emotional response in a way, right? Right, right. Like, right. It, and you know, it's funny because、um, 
it, I feel like that's such a, uh, uh, consistent dynamic where like, um, China in general, like you, you see this, this just discussed with how the U S has this sort of high horse narrative all the time. Um, and China's response is usually like, they point out the hypocrisies a lot. Like that's kind of the dynamic where the, the U S will, um, you know, uh, criticize China for human rights uh, issues. And then China will f- be like, you have your own. Um, and it's kind of this back and forth. Uh, and, and it actually, like the whole, the, the not wanting to be blamed thing reminds me a lot of how we can't even have like a good discourse within the US about our own politics right. because um, there's all the sort of like um, liberal the sort of liberal elite disdain for, um, you know, like the people who are, are like Trump's support base. And um, the reason why that movement took off so much was because they felt disdained and they feel like they have no voice. Um, and it's this cycle where all these people mm-hmm. who are like pretty wealthy and pretty well educated are getting more disgusted um, and, and there's no, like, <laughs> it gets harder and harder to, to find this sort of ground of understanding and, and just like mending. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's even the actual difficult between two nations who doesn't yeah. even, who don't, you know, speak the same language. Right. So that, that's, that's even more challenging than the party line divide. Yeah. So I'm going to share this next one. Now, uh, I had a slightly different source than seed. Uh, but it's the same idea, right? It's looking through the Chinese internet, uh, looking for news about the U.S. and picking out whatever it was on the first page of search results. So these these <laughs> things are somewhat popular. Very, very um, thorough research we've done. Very yeah. thorough. It took I mean, let's be real. Minutes. I don't I don't go much deeper than that. Whenever I'm looking for something, <laughs> exactly. I, I think this was by design, right? Um, when we chose to go with social media and the internet, uh, it's because this actually shapes people's mm. opinions much more than academic papers and official reports because yeah. nobody reads those. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's one. Uh, so the original title was uh, So it translates roughly to the U.S. has committed to four crimes, uh, committed four crimes, and they deserve uh, to be sort of blamed by, you know, the masses. Uh it opens with the fact that the U.S. Uh, has hit a single-day high of 100,000 cases of COVID, uh, and the number of deaths are also climbing up. Um, so essentially, you know, how bad the situation is. And I'm just going to skip to what the four crimes are. Okay? I can't so, wait to hear them. <laughs> right. So the first one is uh, the U.S. produced the most COVID cases in the entire world and the most deaths. Uh, this is the greatest offense against humanism or, you know, human rights. And the U S uh, is now the source of the most infections, um, you know, in the whole world. So that's crime. Number one, um, essentially arguing that uh, all the deaths are preventable and hence this is a crime to let it happen. Okay. Intriguing. Uh, yeah. So crime number two, mm-hmm. uh, I'm reading and translating at the same time, so it might be sloppy. But uh, the U.S. is the most technologically advanced and, uh, in general, the strongest nation in the world. Uh, But its contributions to the world's efforts to vaccinate is slim to none. Uh, And at like to this point, uh, it has accepted much more aid than it has provided to others in terms of vaccination. I'm not sure where the source is, but, you know, they... Okay, so let's read the details. Um, The U.S. did participate in developing new vaccines, but they have exported very few. Uh, The U.S. did not have the ability to supply its people the necessary PPE early on, and so they had to procure it from other places. Uh, And to this day, they have not been able to make a breakthrough in treatment. Uh, The U.S. government as an elite force in the world did not take up, take up the leadership in, in a time of need in the world. So crime number two, being basically a leading uh, nation in the world, but not contributing and pulling its weight in the world stage. 
Okay. Uh, crime number three. The U.S. as the strongest Western democracy, uh, its behavior throughout this entire pandemic serves as a terrible example for the rest of Western countries. Okay. And crime number four, uh, the U.S. focused its efforts on blaming China for its problems, uh, heavily politicized the source of the virus, and sabotaged uh, international collaboration to contain the virus uh, and distracted the international attention, uh, you know, basically hindering the advances of better vaccinations uh, across the world. Okay, so those were... This is awesome. Yeah. yeah. So do, you, do, you, do you admit all those crimes you conducted, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I can't answer for them personally, but I mean, like... You know, it's, um, this, yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of, a lot of these points are pretty, uh, legit. Um, th so, so the first thing I thought immediately, like the first point, um, I don't know, you know, I, you, there were specific numbers cited there. I don't know if the numbers are like accurate or what, but like right, the right. truth is we have an insanely high number of cases. And, uh, I, w I was talking earlier about, um, how there's, you know, this inability to have like good conversation within the U S and like, so this is such a good example because it's the vaccination, um, narrative and, and like the fact that there's so many people that are unvaccinated and you'll like, so I, I was reading just yesterday, I think an opinion piece in the New York times written by a mother, um, talking about like, for having kids like and babies that cannot get vaccinated, a lot of health issues and being just so furious with all of these unvaccinated people. And like, I personally like relate to that really heavily, but what I'm like, try to understand is they're being force fed horrible information. Like I'm not nearly as angry with, uh, the, the people that consume that information as people like Tucker Carlson, who is vaccinated uh, and all the other Fox News clowns who spew um, the garbage about the danger of vaccinations mm -hmm. um, and, and how they're going to come to your home for your Bibles and your guns and force you to get vaccinated. Like, it's just like that to me is the most repulsive thing. And but I mean, as a, where, where I went, you know, tangentially, but I mean, like the point is right. Like it's it's absolutely embarrassing how many cases there are in the U.S., how many there have been consistently and how um there, there is, there is the closest thing to a solution to stop the spread of cases, and people won't take it because there, there's so much horrible uh, misinformation out there. Mm -hmm. Um, what was the second? I forgot which points were yeah, which. We I can, like we all. We can of recap them. these, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so number one uh, was really the fact that the U.S. is a the hotspot in the world yeah. with the most deaths, uh, and I think the point was. Uh, that this is against humanity, right? Uh, that yeah. the failure to prevent right, thousands and thousands of deaths is yeah. a crime. I think so. It's, it's okay. There and there's, I guess, there's an interesting thing there. The, these are being framed as crimes. Um, I, I, I don't think know, they're like, being dramatic. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Right. That's what yeah, I read it as. Right. I didn't know if they were like, you know, going to take uh, us. This is going to take us to. This. It's international by some website, some blog. So you know, <laughs> that's actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, right. a, that's actually a semi. Uh, official website so, okay yeah. yeah i love i love the graphic of the pandas on the rocket though they're just so happy that is adorable yeah um hopeful yeah. Really goes <laughs> I, wonder, with the theme. I wonder where they're going um someplace better, <laughs> better um, here. yeah but yeah no i i don't know like i i i don't know about the the literal volume but um mm -hmm. and you know if you're the way that i frame it, i wouldn't be like oh it's a we should be trying some court. It's it's embarrassing and it's shameful how high the case uh, numbers are for sure. I yeah. thought like India and Indonesia were like some of the biggest hotspots, but no, U.S. has more cases. Really? Oh wow! Yeah, slightly more than uh, India. Wow. Which yeah. I mean, yeah. Given all of the different conditions, who would have predicted that? Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean it could also be Plague, Plague Inc you do not start a new virus in the U S but I think that model needs to be revised. 
It could also be because uh, uh, India is underreporting because of its lack of resources yeah. to yeah, keep record sure. of things. But uh, according to the official numbers, U.S. is highest. Yeah. One observation I have I when uh, yeah. hasn't hasn't read the news is I, I find it funny that uh, even when uh, it's saying U.S. conduct a crime. Every yeah. one of them has a compliment for U.S. Right? U.S. Oh. is the strongest. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Most, they're the leader of democracy. Yeah. 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 Uh, most advanced technology-wise, uh, <laughs> strongest nation. Uh, you know, we have to be <laughs> have to pay some respect. If we, this uh, feels like yeah. This feels like the uh, China's doing a performance review with China. Yeah. Uh, with the U.S. Yeah. So you know you have to sandwich <laughs> your critical, constructive feedback uh, right. with affirmative. You know, like, oh, you sure. guys, you're doing yeah. such a good job. But, you know, yeah, yeah. the deaths and the COVID stuff, yeah, yeah, you yeah. really do better next quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sugar so, kind of feedback. So what's your, what's your take on this, Hanson? Like, do you find them, uh, you know, as a person living in the U.S., um, sure. do you find them, you know, constructive and have um, some valid points? Yeah, I think most of the points have... Uh, a decent amount of validity, right? Of course, there's more nuance as with any mm -hmm. of these rather charged articles. Uh, we, our very first episode was dedicated to talking about COVID. And we did dive a little bit deeper into this, right? Like Paul, when you're talking about the people who are either anti-vaccine or vaccine hesitant, whatever you call mm -hmm. them, uh, we did talk about the idea, especially in the US, right? This idea mm -hmm. of political freedom uh, and freedom from governmental intervention. Mm -hmm. And you know, yes, all the narratives out there are very much filled with falsehood and, you know, people are getting rich off of conning, you know, uh, lying to the masses. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is, I understand that there is a belief in the U.S. among many people that they'd rather not have a government be able to control oh, yeah. and compulse anything whatsoever. Yeah, that libertarian vein that we have. Right, right. And I think... Uh, I understand that, right? Even though like the conspiracy theory goes a little bit too far, but I, I do see a little bit of nuance there. Like, yeah, uh, maybe the idea of having the government be able to like lock you in your house and like compulse you into doing things isn't the best idea. Uh, but that being said, uh, liberal humanism, which is essentially what the West is built on these days, yeah, does, it's still a branch of humanism. So it still believes in the sanctity of human life. And how many deaths does it take for you to question, like, maybe that's not good, right? Uh, right. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's an impossible question to answer. It's a very big moral ethics question. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're I think, you know, people who uh, are experts in it who have much more <laughs> sophisticated opinions about it than I do. I, at the end of the day, I think that um, that, whole, that whole libertarian ideal to me just mm -hmm. comes from this very selfish place and um you know that like freedom is this american ideal mm -hmm. and it's it, there's so much interpretation there's court cases that constantly reevaluate what the first amendment really uh means mm -hmm. and um at a certain point you if you have the freedom to make choices that result in a ton of people dying, like is, is there an entity like a government that should right. do something to stop that? Um, right. At the end of the day, uh, like uh, I think everybody wants, you know, everyone who lives in the U S doesn't want it to completely grumble. And that's the, uh, I don't want to get too carried away. Cause there's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just like the narrative is so mired in hypocrisy yeah. And, um, you know, they'll they'll argue till the cows come home about states rights, but then they'll throw a fit when uh, a state government, um, you know, passes something that that is is contrary to their ideology. Yes. Um, so I, that's that's a different that's a whole different story. But, yeah, I find uh, most political statements deeply hypocritical, like across yeah. different countries and different parties. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what's uh, make, happening quite a bit, and I think, Paul, you pointed out this out earlier, is that uh, a lot of U.S. politicians want to take that like high horse approach, like I am better than thee. Is that better than thou? Yeah. I don't know which one. Just no, cut no. out the, the incorrect one. I was right the whole time. Um, <laughs> they have that air of superiority, especially when it comes to international politics. I think uh, the U.S. especially 
has that like us centric view of everything like everybody else hasn't figured their shit out everybody else is like semi-barbaric if you will right they're still mm -hmm. stomping on human rights they're still struggling with basic needs uh we are the ones who should come in and tell them how to run their country right uh so so a lot of the opinions tend to be a little bit more condescending which is yeah. why I think um, a lot of the narrative in China that's countering this relies on just busting their hypocrisy, which is, I, I would argue, like, just, yeah, it is hypocritical. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to argue that it's not. Uh, and China tends to focus on that and maybe, you know, take it to the opposite end where uh, it is very charged in the opposite way. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, for, for me, I've... Uh, I think in general, it's probably hard to practice your rights when you're sick and uh, you don't have any right when you're dead. <laughs> um, so, you know, <laughs> at, at, at times like this, you know, priorities should be sorted out. But I do agree there's a lot of nuance in terms of how, how much power do you give the government to do things, right? Even in the case of U.S., there are, there are cases where that is taken too far. Yeah, one would argue like, you know, the whole surveillance program carried out by, by NSA and the FBI because of the fear of um, terrorism, right? Even yep. though terrorism only kills 100 people on average per year, uh, probably doesn't justify all those measurements. Once you give the power to the government, it's really hard to take back, right? So where do you draw the line? Uh, even in the case of U.S., it's really hard to tell. Yeah. And the one more thought I have on this before we move on is if you read like items two and three, mm -hmm. uh, which are around the same idea of the fact that the U.S. is the most powerful nation and the most advanced technologically nation in the world. And the fact that it's privileged did not lead to the fact that did not lead to its leadership in the world in dealing with and serving as a good example in handing out help where it could. And I think that's a good point. Um, you know, we all know people who are doing well in life and, you know, people who are privileged, but there's a difference between people who are privileged and leadership. Like being in a, being in power and being a leader are not the same things. And I think in this example, especially on the handling, handling of COVID, you could make a good case that the U S has a lot of power. It did get those vaccines really quickly and secure a large uh, supply of them. Uh, it did make those contributions, but it was pretty selfish in the approach to it, right? And it did not demonstrate leadership in terms of just being a world leader and and helping others and spreading lo the love, right? I, I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that the foreign policy in the past few years has become, at least even from the rhetoric perspective, very America first. And what does that say to the world? It It's a very selfish slogan. Uh, right. Like, I, I'm sure there's different motivations behind it. But as a foreigner, when you hear that, like, imagine if you heard like China first or Japan first, right. it's not a very friendly and open and, you know, lead by example, lead by, you know, uh, positivity kind of message. It's more right. of a fuck you, like everybody for themselves. And we have the most. So what are you going to do about it? And, and that one was a Trumpism, right? Like that was just him being completely destructive. Um so, uh, what, one thing that you just rhymed, you know, the, that whole, that second point, immediately the first thing I thought of was just, first of all, the AstraZeneca uh, doses, right? That they like didn't really want to use because they were still testing uh, and then hoarding them. Um, and then I think, I forget, I'm, I'm just like, I'm a fact checking nightmare for you guys when it happened. Uh, eventually, I think they did give AstraZeneca doses so somewhere, but it was like, the worst vaccine, right? Like they're like, yeah, yeah. I forget where it was, but you guys can have that one. Um, and I think I just read yesterday that like a, at least a million doses have been wasted in the US. Yes. This one is titled, and let me share my screen a little bit. I don't know how helpful the visuals are. Probably not. Um, you have to describe titled, for the for the listeners that sure. pretend there's no visual. Yep. Yes. So, sure. Uh, so the title of this article goes... <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's, that's every time you read one of these, uh, the only thing I truly catch is when you say "megwa" at the front, and I'm like, "Yep, got it." <laughs> <laughs> that's us. <laughs> yeah, "megwa" in Fei-Zhou,还能卷土重来和中国较量吗? So the title translates to "Can the U.S. win back its lead in Africa and rival China?" Its lead. Yeah. 
It's, it's, uh, it's so, I don't know what what they're like what kind of. I don't think we're what? referring back to the hundreds of years ago a certain type of trade. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope. Um, no. Because it certainly did no. have a lead, I suppose. Yes. Um, okay, so uh, just boiling this down a little bit, the, the reason I thought this was interesting is that it wasn't a big, or at least it's not focused on the rhetoric. Uh, it's more about a more practical side of international competition between the U.S. and China. Uh, essentially talks about, you know how China has the One Belt, One Road project? Are you familiar? I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, this is a pretty big campaign. Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, this is just the Wikipedia definition. Um, so, known hmm. in Chinese and formerly in English as the One Belt, One Road, or OBER for short, um, is a global infrastructure development strategy adopted by the Chinese government in 2013 to invest in nearly 70 countries and international organizations. It is considered to be a centerpiece of the Chinese Communist Party general secretary and the Chinese leader Xi's foreign policy. Uh, so I think the idea is to lend out and invest a ton of money across the different parts of the world to build this huge, you know, this China, Mongolia, Russia corridor, right? Wow. New Eurasian <laughs> land bridge, basically connecting China to different parts of the world. Right. Structurally, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And one belt, one road, I think, is in some ways uh, referring back to the Silk Road. Maritime right? Silk Road, yeah. Oh. Right. And uh, yeah, so it's this super ambitious and somewhat controversial if you look up, you know, where's the original mm. tab? Um, yeah, super ambitious project. Uh, there are a lot of debate around it. There is a lot of debate around it, hmm. but uh, no one can say that it's not ambitious. <laughs> um, and so this article essentially says that uh, 20 years ago, the U.S. was the biggest investor, investor in Africa. Uh, the U.S. took up 15.5% of the trade with Africa, hmm. and China took up 4%. This was 20 years ago. As of 2020... The U.S. accounts for 5.6% of trade with Africa, and China accounts for 25.6%. So the mm. positions were reversed in terms of how much trade and investment uh, the two countries are making in Africa. Um, and it's essentially, you know, China's strategy is all about investing and in building roads, uh, railways, giving them power, uh, you know, invested billions of dollars there. Uh, again, there's more nuance. We can do a whole episode just on this. Like, why is China doing this? Why mm -hmm. are they giving people money, right? They're not giving free money. Uh, they're building <laughs> that infrastructure so they can benefit from it, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it is super ambitious. And this article essentially talks about, does America really have a cohesive international strategy? Does America really have a vision for, you know, developing and expanding and growing? Uh, it's particularly in the case of Africa, uh, China's betting that Africa is going to take off, that as the continent develops, there's a lot of wealth to be made. Uh, I've even heard- And some they people, want in on that wealth. Exactly. Yeah. I've even heard people refer to Africa as China's China, <laughs> in that it's the new source of cheap labor, cheap yeah. natural resources to be exploited. Yeah, so that's- uh, and, Okay. Hmm. We're there to build roads. You think okay. it's not for charity, right? You, but, you know, yeah. some people will get rich as a result. You said that the project was- um, Controversial is it controversial within China, or you mean uh, internationally? Chi China it, as a whole, you think people are just sort it's, of it's it's controversial to the Western allies okay. um, of US. This, yeah. you know what? Actually, this was it's you just said that you used the phrase China's China, and it actually like that just reminded me of a moment that I had when I was in China that was like it. It probably sounds silly because it's like it was me like like clueless American kid in China learning a lot about it. And I just saw like on the, on the cover of a magazine, I was like in an office somewhere, there was like um, basically like a Chinese guy in an African village with like a big, huge sack of rice. And it was like, basically the article <laughs> was about China giving aid to Africa. And I was like, it just like, like, you know, like I was so conditioned to see like, yeah, like Western countries, um, you know, Mm -hmm. imperialists uh turned into like clobbering countries with aid and stuff and then just seeing china uh a country that dealt with western imperialism 
giving aid in Africa. I was just like, that visual was striking to me because I was like, I didn't really consider that. <laughs> right. right. Um, so like, I, I have not heard about this project, but like, that just reminded me of that image because I was like, yeah, no, I mean, like China has this international presence that I like, I don't know, maybe I'm just not right, reading the right American news sources, but I don't see that being talked about. It's usually about the direct uh, dynamic between China and the US. China's doing a lot of things around the world like that, that right. you don't really read about in the US. And um, that, yeah, <laughs> that was that was something to see. It's yeah. a very visionary and ambitious project. And uh, I don't know whether you guys saw the, the article, actually Bannon, Steve Bannon uh, wrote, which is pretty interesting, <laughs> uh, about this One Bill, One Road initiative, uh, where he actually, I, I think he's the first person to point out that. So there are three main theories of geopolitics. One, one, one is about to control the power. It's all about controlling the sea. So whoever controls the sea has the power in mm -hmm. geopolitics. The other theory is about whoever controls the land, the central, it's called like uh, the central land theory. Uh, whoever controls that controls the power of the world. The third theory is about all about the connections between the sea and the land. So whoever controls the ports control the world. The one boat, one, one, one bill, one road initiative covers all three of them. <laughs> basically all the, all the nodes uh, is selected, uh, yeah. basically covers all the cases. <laughs> so that, that's why, and you know, Bannon's pointing out, you know, people from the West should be worried about this project. The thing I liked about this project, uh, besides being a Chinese, uh, is <laughs> I like, uh, is, I think it's not hypocritical, right? It's not, it's not about, we give you aid, uh, we give you free money, but we take your oil. It's a fear of trade, right? You can, it's a, it's a, you can take the land, you might not afford it, and we might you know, foreclosure it and take the land in the end, but it's in the contract. And our intention is not to overthrow the, the government. Uh, you can do whatever you want. You can be a dictator. We don't care. You can you can enslave your own people. <laughs> give us a fuck. We take the money, uh, right? Hopefully, we'll you take your money. We don't care. We don't care how money. you got it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We hopefully you evenly distribute it across the people you govern. But we are not here to uh, export our ideologies, yeah. right? We're just here to do business. It's yeah. all it's um, very uh, visible and, and overt. You're saying there's nothing um, there's nothing underhanded about it. There, it's just clearly we're building this infrastructure to establish uh, and dominate trade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, simple. Yeah, yeah. So much of the U.S. China talk is about U.S. versus China and the direct mm -hmm. relations between the two. But you know, the world is not just the U.S. and China. There's right. a lot of yeah. other stuff out there. And I think something I I, I feel bad about uh, the U.S. Uh, and, and a lot of Americans maybe don't feel the same kind of dream and ambition that something like uh, the Belt and Road Project can bring to a country where you can dream about this crazy big thing that literally no one's ever built any, anything to this scale. Uh, and you can look forward to something. And, you know, living in the U.S. and being surrounded by whatever's on Reddit and whatever's on the Internet here, it... I personally feel pessimist, pessimistic. So much of the debate is about how the world's going to go down, how climate is going to get worse, how everything's going to get worse. And uh, even some of the, you know, like the positive things are about how we can restore the past and make America great again. And all of that is backward looking. And I, I'm saddened by it. I think the lack of forward thinking and the lack of optimism about the future is a real problem. Uh, when you have nothing concrete to look forward to, it's very hard to rally people and get them excited about anything. They just get bitter and angry about everything. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, um, and a lot of it, 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 this makes me think about the sort of the generational, uh, you know, drama that you see where um, there's just all these, it's, it's people our age you know, millennials that feel like the world, uh, then I think it's very, it's a U.S. perspective that like sure. the future, their future has been robbed by the past generation and yeah, yeah. their story was all this potential and promise. And, um, uh, that was a, a culture of, um, reckless, uh, fast consumption 
of uh, finite resources um, without caring about what the world that was being left. And so that, I think the pessimism is that. And it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's people talk about it, like even within their own families, how like, you know, people whose parents uh, graduated with a bachelor's degree and got a job uh, that paid, you know, some equivalent of, of a like salary that was like, you go buy your own house in three years. And it's yeah. like, oh, you know, and anybody who, gra- I graduated in 2010, uh, with, and, you know, like, so that was, you know, two years after, um, the, the finance, the housing financial crisis, uh, and collapse, um, you know, so most people who graduated in my, my time, like it took like five to 10 years for people to kind of establish any kind of footing and financial security. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, there's all sorts of bitterness and pessimism and like, there are no massive endeavors to build something like there's no unified vision in this country for the future. It's a very divisive vision. And the focus is on stopping the direction things are going instead of finding a new direction to go in. And I think, you know, I mean, the, the thing that I think about first is of course like climate change, because it just feels the most um, scary and imminent. Um, and um, which, but which is also interesting because in that realm, there is the potential for like hopeful, exciting projects. Like there is the opportunity to invest in um, all sorts of alternative fuel sources, but that's not the way it's seen. The way that it's, it's viewed is like, you know, um, stopping the hemorrhaging of uh, like our dependence on oil and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, you know, people that are invested in that industry see it as, as, you know, this is my, this is my, um, fortune versus the future of the country, as opposed to there's no, like, no, no one gets excited to get behind something new. Everyone's yeah. stuck in, in something they already have. So I, I totally feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also tougher to build that unified anything when you don't have a unified voice, uh, in, in the media because it's free because and when you and when i say free you know it's free in a good way and also free in a bad way Mm -hmm. um different forces different money essentially behind the scenes are driving different narratives and i mean look at congress right look at american politics everything's in complete lockdown uh nothing ever moves forward right i think bill maher said this it was pretty interesting he had this whole monologue about how china gets stuff done like in the time china's built a bridge the U.S. is debating about what to name it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Who should we honor? Why is this bigoted? And why is this not good for whatever? It's like, yeah, I, it goes back to what Seed says. I do think that's one of the best, most interesting and probably the best aspects of China is they're practical. Right. It's OK. Like, yeah, there are faults. Yeah, there are problems in the world. Not my problem. Let's get this built, bridge built and get this money made. All right. Moving on to the last question. So I think the tension between the two nations is deeply rooted in this notion that there has to be a number one. In this case, U.S., in my opinion, is very obsessed with having, excuse my language, the biggest dick. It has to have the most dominating military, the most advanced technology, the largest presence in every region of the world. Um, so why is that? Where does this obsession come from? I think I think your biggest dick analogy is really the the (laughs) the clearest one we're going to (laughs) get. I think well, the truth is that one to me. I think I think it's an American machismo thing. That's what it appeals to. Um, I because my you know, I think we talked we've talked a a bunch about how we all know people who aren't don't buy into that that sort of um, attitude and line of thinking. I certainly don't. Um, it's, I think the reason is because it appeals to a sizable demographic that can help people who say we are that to win elections. So it comes down to, to me, I think it comes down to, uh, if the question is why do we need that? Um, I think the answer is, uh, for, um, candidates for elections, uh, as long as a, a significant, uh, percentage of people like that image, 
that's why they'll need that. So why does why must the U.S. maintain its hegemony? Why can't it deal with the idea that someone else might catch up and surpass it? Right. Right. Uh, if that's the question, um, I think it's really not about the U.S. I think it's okay. any power in its position. Um, I do not think, <laughs> frankly, even on an interpersonal scale, but especially on an international scale, that equality works. Um, maybe this is pretty cynical from me now. Put a new lion, strong lion in a pack. The dynamic adjusts, right? Like people compete against each other. Uh, you know, entities compete against each other. And I think that maybe as a system, the only stable states are achieved when there is a dominant force in the middle enforcing itself and taking advantage and reaping the benefits. I mean, that there's a reason, I think, why the system always ends up this way. And we've never had, uh, even within a small group of nations, uh, a relationship where one player wasn't dominant. Um, yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm lacking some data points here, right? But my view on this is any, any international power that becomes the dominant power will do its very best to maintain its power the same way a Lion King fights until its bitter end uh, and a new Lion King takes over. I don't... Although in the, in the case of international politics, right, if you look at how the UK handed the mantle to the US, yeah, sure. Like on an individual level, it doesn't have to be like life or death, right? But there is a transition of a power and that new power will assert itself across the world. I, I just don't see how or why the system would reach a state where everyone's minding their own business and not fighting for dominance. Because, I don't know, this is very stream of consciousness. Feel free to cut out a lot of this. But I did this thought experiment. <laughs> I'm <about> digging it. <laughs> right? Could people be truly equal? And when I say equal, I mean more radical equality than what we have here. But, you know, like everyone truly has the same amount of power. Right. No president. No spokesperson. Why would you need that? Right. We all have the same amount of power. Uh, so there shouldn't be one person who needs to make decisions for others. We can literally all make all decisions together just in this imaginary world. That would never work uh, because some people will be more greedy than others. Some people will care more than others and be more driven other than others. So they're going to start to sway other people's opinions, much like a liquid crystallizes into a solid any individual perturbance in such a system will nucleate, will spread into a new equilibrium. So what I'm saying basically is when you look at different quantum fields, for example, right, uh, there's, there's a thing considered vacuum state energy. So it's basically, uh, God, I'm going down this road too far, but there are different states of energy a system can achieve. And in general, a system wants to be the lowest possible energy, right? If you just imagine a rolling ball on a hill, right? There are local minima that are essentially semi-stable states where, you know, if you're rolling a pinball in this like mountainous region, it can stay in between two peaks, but not for long. Random things happen and nudge it around and eventually it's going to fall down the valley. If there's a lower place to be, it's always going to end up in the lower place eventually, right? So my opinion is any degree of more or less equal relationship is a local minimum. It won't last. Even if two countries were completely okay with each other and very friendly, one of them is going to discover some new power source. One of them is going to discover some new weapon. One of them is going to make a breakthrough at some point and discover a new planet. All of a sudden, there's a rush for the new thing. And whichever side has more power will reap the benefit from the new discovery, and nobody wants to be left behind. Let me ask yeah. you a question. Uh, how much do you think that the national identity of people who live somewhere in the EU. Mm -hmm. um, how do you think, how do you think that, I mean, this, whatever, whatever the answer is, it's going to be a, a generalization and, and a guess, but sure. I feel like what, like what you're talking about, I, I, I get there's like a, um, like a sense of realism and like, it's based on just like what happens throughout all of history, but Things like the EU, mm -hmm. to me, represent like the potential for, you know, dissolving um, national, like the, the idea that that nations are a meaningful distinction. Like, I think that, I guess my, as, as a 
you know, Star Trek nerd. I have just this this far off hope that sometime like the 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 borders like that and the differences like that mean less and we think of ourselves more as just like humanity. Yeah. Um and you know, it's it's it maybe sounds like very silly and like way too idealistic and and i mean like what would you say like i'm not along as you're talking because it's like that's the reality is there there that you're right like the power dynamics are a real thing and it's like oh we need to be here because otherwise there will be a power vacuum that is absolutely an element but i i hope that at some point it's like there's just this incremental progress and um eventually you know uh demilitarization becomes a thing and and it's it's just like the the system becomes um more more unified where but but yeah that's that's a long long way off (laughs) you know paul i first of all i i certainly share like i i don't want the future to be dark (laughs) yeah i'm sure Um, you don't i'm sure you don't share the the aspiration for a, a brighter future um the the thing I'll say is uh, that's a good point. And by the way, this is 10 p.m. Hanson. Like you got me here by your choice, right? My brain. <laughs> I'm glad I I'm so glad we got there because I wanted to hear worse than you. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my I that's my intention. Yeah. Wow, that's why I started I knew, late. I knew when we got to quantum physics that we were in a good place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what what I think I want to add there is uh, again I I want to think of the world as a solving the power equations. I, I'm personally not really a believer that individual people and their beliefs and any kind of ideology in and of itself will reshape the dynamics. I tend to think that the playing field, the math, right, the rules is what shapes everything else. Um, so I, I think the question is, will power dynamics evolve to the point where, you know, with technological mm-hmm. innovations, that's what's pushing the rules. That's what's changing the equations, right? When the agricultural revolution happened, it completely changed what power meant. Uh, when the technological revolution happened, industrial revolution, each one of these significant shifts uh, shifted the ability to create and capture and protect value. Uh, yeah. And that reshaped politics and military and geopolitics, everything as a result, society as we know it. Um, and, you know, we're seeing the same thing even with software and stuff today, right? It's not as radical as some of the previous uh, revolutions. If you look at history, whenever we developed a new crop, Right. Like the Song Dynasty in China, or I'm sure you can find a lot of examples abroad as well, uh, when a new type of crop was introduced. So in the case of Song Dynasty, they introduced a new breed of rice from what's Vietnam today huh. that could ripen in the winter and be this whole new source of food. Right. When I think Europe imported potatoes, uh, <laughs> that created prosperity. Everyone rising tide lifted all boats. So, yes, if we discover clean fusion. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's going to be unrest for it in some smaller scales, like, you know, Middle Eastern countries all of a sudden no longer have that advantage of holding on to energy resources. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be turmoil in some scale. But overall, yeah, it's possible that we'll be less busy fighting each other and be more busy building the things that this thing just made possible. Because at the end of the day, I think we're more greedy than we are aggressive. We're only aggressive when our, we can no longer be greedy without being aggressive. Yeah, I think I agree with that for sure. If we can take free <laughs> shit out of the ground, we do that first. And then we run out of the ground to take. And then we start looking at other people's grounds. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say I like the I like the quantum rants. Um I also I also agree that uh, you know, according to the second law of thermodynamics, uh, entropy <laughs> entropy rises and uh everything goes to shit is right. the second okay. law of thermodynamics. <laughs> you know, right. Means. You know, chaos resumes, which is the lowest yeah. state of energy. This is my message from the last episode as well, and it's it's weird to be on the positive side. Out of all this, I, I do think there is hope in this fucked up situation, right? It's, we're not just talking about U.S. and China. We're talking about you know U.S. and China in the context of uh, rising tensions uh, on this planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think, compared to previous generations, um, there are more connections between people, right? It's impossible for me to imagine. Back in, I don't know, 15 years ago, I am sitting here in Boston uh, in the basement of my own house talking to a random Jew uh, who is located in Cleveland whoa, whoa, right whoa. now. 
Um, and uh, random Jewish person. Uh, you can say Jew. I don't think Jews are bad. <laughs> yes, there's not, actually, um, there's an. It's always sunny joke about that. Yes, I, it depends. It depends on the tone. It depends on the tone how you say it, right? You can just call uh, me your tyrant. Right, <laughs> your tyrant. Yeah, exactly. Adding to the fact, there's another Chinese person <laughs> talking with me in English on Zoom, which the founder is Chinese, right? But uh, it's a U.S. company, right? So everything is so connected. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe the connection introduced the higher entropy, and uh, we can arrive at a better state in the end. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that, that's seed. yeah. I think that's yeah. It's a beautiful thought. Yeah. I'd like to yeah. think that the conversation that we're having right now and the, the existence of this podcast pretends some positivity in the future. Yeah. With the 20 listeners we have, I'm going to bring a better world. <laughs> change the world. Yes. Um, but you know, that's true, right? Like I know so many people in China and the US that I would mm -hmm. never, ever support some outright war between the two countries. In fact, I don't support any of this shit that's going on, right? Even the, a lot of the rhetoric. Um, yeah. It's a lot harder for people to do when you know people personally and know that they're not the caricature in whatever media you're reading. Absolutely. I don't, and that's the thing. It's like most people really, they don't want war. They don't want violence. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah. And not even just war, but also conflict at large, right? Like the rhetoric, yeah, exactly. the trade stuff, all the soft stuff, even though no one's expressly dying, uh, it's still not great. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Even though in the end uh, things goes to shit, it's fine. We made friends. Uh, we had we had uh, the glorious past. Times. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. We had some good the times. Here and now is what counts, right? That's the message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right. Um, it's ten o'clock. Uh, sorry for being late. Uh, I think yeah, uh, we had fun. Good. This was a blast. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Never be forgiven. You know, if you have any good excuses to have me back on, I think this is a blast. I was gonna say, if baby fires me, they're gonna fucking hire me. <laughs> <laughs> hey.